It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hey, everybody. Just a real quick announcement. If you've been following us for a while, or if you're a member of our Upstream Investor crew, then you know we're big fans of self-storage. And for those of you who are also interested in self-storage, you're in luck. On August 9th, you can join us as we tour a self-storage facility in Conifer, Colorado. This is a great opportunity to meet and speak with one of the best self-storage operators in the business and see how they accomplish a storage expansion in the mountains. Whether you live in the area or if you just want to come visit us, you can find the RSVP link in the show notes or just reach out to us directly on our website or through social media. Can't wait to see you there. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Danny Nichols, here once again with my co-host, Chris Thompson. What's going on, Danny? It's good to see you, man. Good to see you too, man. Had another great guest on this week. Tell the listeners who we spoke with. Okay, so today we brought in Lisa Hilton. Uh, She's the host of the Level Up REI podcast, and she's the founder of LisaHilton.com. It's a real estate investment firm that was created for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to build passive income and wealth through tax-efficient real estate investments. Uh, today, we talked about uh, Lisa's first investment, You know how it was affected by COVID and how they got through it. Uh, we also talked about the fund of funds model and uh, for passive and active investors. She knows a lot about this stuff. She's chock full of information. Yeah, absolutely. If you're a passive investor, make sure to check out this episode from beginning to end. Lisa's a rock star and she provided a ton of great information for passive investors like us. So, all right, two quick things before we get into today's episode. Number one, if you're a fan of the show or even a first time listener, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating and written review. Really helps us attract more guests, grow the podcast, and ultimately provide better information for everyone listening. Number two, if you're a passive real estate investor or looking to learn more about passive real estate investing, then check out our website at twosmartassets.com. There you can find our updated passive investing guide. This guide will help you get started on your passive investing journey and provide you with the right questions to ask to make sure you're ready for when the real opportunities come your way. All right, let's jump into today's episode with Lisa Hilton. Lisa, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We are excited for this show. You know, we've been waiting for a while to have you on. Uh, And just a quick shout out. We want to make sure to all our listeners, if you haven't done so already, check out Lisa's podcast. It is phenomenal. She's bringing on a ton of great guests, providing tons of value. So if you haven't done so already, go check that out. And so uh, with that being said, Lisa, you know, we want our listeners to become more familiar with you and who you are. So let's take some time. Tell us a bit more about you, your background, and how you got into real estate investing. Yeah, sounds good. So in addition to my bio, um, what you recently just said, I'm originally from the Cayman Islands. I've been in the US now for a little over 10 years. Um, background is public accounting. So 10 years in public accounting, auditing all kinds of funds, and then moving on to an investment manager as a controller on private equity funds for four and a half years. Uh, So those were private equity real estate funds during that time is when I got exposed to real estate syndications. Um, I met someone 
unrelated to my job out in the world. And they were, you know, investing in real estate syndications. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. Um, and that's how I essentially, you know, made my first investment and got back involved. Um, I will quickly say that uh, I grew up in a real estate family. My father was a contractor. So he built 14 apartment units when I was a child. And sometime in, when I was around middle school age, he um, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And by the time I got to college, he passed away. But because he made those investments in building those apartment units, it helped to help my family to continue to take care of my mom, to be able to take care of him, as well as my myself and my two younger siblings um, to be able to come out. And she does still take care of those apartments today and has been retired now for the past 10 years or so. So, yeah. Yeah, that's quite a story. You know, and I think it's interesting because you've already had you already have some investing or some experience in in real estate, right? You've worked as a real estate employee, and then also you have the background with your family as well as well. So I think that's I mean that's that's pretty amazing. You know, some people don't have that, some people do. I know my father; he was a, a property manager and a broker for a while, so I kind of had that a little bit in there, but it wasn't quite um, you know just the real estate investing stuff. And so we got the context of your background. I would like to talk about uh, before we jump into some more questions. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your current focus is? I know you said, you know, you've done some fun stuff, but what is your current focus right now? Yeah. So my current focus is multifamily. Um, I like to invest in class B assets, typically around a hundred units um, and in the small states. So everything from North Carolina, South Carolina, um, down into Atlanta, Chattanooga, Tennessee, North Florida, and Texas. Um, primarily I build relationships with operators who have track record and experience in those states and um, be able to create funds that enable investors who want to gain access to these kinds of deals to invest in these kinds of opportunities. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's a, there's a lot of great stuff there. I do want to touch on, I know we talked about before the show, kind of your, and we talked about it just a minute ago, but that first investment, right? That was a passive investment, correct? Can you talk to us a little bit about, about that first passive investment and how you decided to actually take that route and what that was like for you? Yeah, it was scary. <laughs> you know, the first time you, every time you write a check, it's always scary. You know, 50K, 75K, 100K, like these are big checks. And every time you write them, you know, you do get, you feel that sense of fear. Uh, for me, a couple of things. The first deal that I did was a passive investment deal. It was 600 units out of Atlanta. That particular deal was a class C. And the whole period was about three years. We went into it in 2019, in the summer of 2019. That property did experience trouble in COVID. Um, as it was a Class C property, even though it was in the strong Atlanta area, um, it did experience where, you know, the operator was unable to execute on their business plan, which was to do a lot of value add work. Uh, but because of COVID, they were unable to do that. So then they were unable to hit their rent, they, the revenue projections that they were trying to um, achieve to then be able to achieve the types of returns that they wanted to achieve for their investors. So they ultimately sold the property earlier this year, um, you know, primarily in the vein of capital preservation, being able to luckily that's one of the benefits of investing in a very strong market is despite all of what was going on, they were able to then sell it at a gain and be able to give investors back their money along with friends. Yeah, you know, I think you make, 
And I think you make a great point there too, because I know as passive investors uh, for myself, I can speak for, and then for other passive investors that I talk to, you know, the first question they usually ask is what's the returns like, right? That's kind of like the first question, what's the returns like? But I think you bring up a great point is really the, f- the first thing should be capital, capital preservation, right? I mean, uh, and you know, that should be the number one goal of anybody who's accepting, or, you know, if you, if you're placing capital, uh, I would like to think that the the operator's number one goal is to preserve that capital at the very least, right? So I think that's a that's a great point. Um, and you know we're, we're big fans of passive investing. Uh, you know we've been passive investing for a while now. And uh, so you've you've now gone and and dove into the active side, right? Can you talk about a little bit about that transition and how that happened happened going from passive to active? Yeah, great question. So I didn't like back in 2019 in the summer when I made my first investment, like I didn't see real estate and syndication as a business. You know, I just saw it as a, an opportunity to invest in real estate, which is what I was looking to do. And fast forward, I continued working with the person that was introduced to at that time. And I began to get exposed to real estate syndication as a business. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so interesting. And working for an investment manager, it just felt like it felt there were a lot of similarities in terms of the business. Only thing, you know, difference in who we're serving as well as the the types of assets, you know, in terms of their assets are like typically trophy assets, like the Ritz-Carlton or something like that, um, which is completely different from buying a value-add class B multifamily. (laughs) Right. Um, So there were some of those um, things that were similar to each other, and that's what got me intrigued. And the first thing that I embarked on was I read the book, um, The Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book by Joe Fairless. Um, And the person that I was working with at that time also recommended, hey, you know, you want to build a platform. So between that book and what she was saying, which were the same things, um, that's when I said, you know what, I think I want to do a podcast. So I'd actually taken another small course, like a weekend course that gave me exposure to like articles, blogs, podcasting videos and all that stuff. And I realized, wow, like um, this is stuff that, you know, I could do like, you know, as an accountant, it's not something that you're out there seeking, <laughs> like sure. you're taking care of numbers. Like you're not like podcasting and going on videos. <laughs> it's just, it's just different. So that program like sort of helped me to like uncover, you know, and that's when I was like, Oh, you know, I think I want to do the podcast route. So I launched my podcast in February of 2020, but I started working on it in like November. Cause you know, like it, it takes a little bit of a runway oh, to yeah. like, get gas, you know, set up everything like the headshot, get your website done, the whole nine yards. So, um, yeah, it just took a little bit of time, but that was my early start. And then from there, continuing to build relationships with other operators, I would say that I started off wanting to be an operator. Um, so wanting to like do the whole thing, a lot of people start off wanting to do everything and then quickly realizing that it's a very big business and you need to build relationships and you can't do everything yourself. So I'll pause there. <laughs> no, no. And you're, you're absolutely spot on. Cause you know, that's, that's kind of how we started too. the podcast, you know, there is that definite runway, but the thing is though, I think uh, most people who don't, you know, operate a podcast realize it's a lot of work, right? I mean, you're trying to grow your network and do all stuff, but it takes a lot of work. So if you're, if you're a passive investor and you're trying to, you know, run a podcast and then also be an active investor. I mean, there's a lot to it. And I think that that makes a solid, um, uh, you know, comes around to your point of, you know, being an actual operator that, and if you're doing all this other stuff and an actual operator, I mean, your schedule is jam packed. So 
So, you know, like you said, you, you thought about being a full, uh, like a, a full-time operator, but then you changed your mind. What, what happened there? Yeah. So a couple of things. I live in Los Angeles and I love living here. Um, number one, number two, I began to get, have come to Jesus moments about my unique abilities. And I looked at, you know, what was, what value am I bringing to the table that could add value to other people? And I thought, well, I have experience doing funds. I've done that 14 and a half years. Um, and I have this podcast and I, I, I'm happy with creating content, talking to investors, coaching, teaching people and all this different stuff. So I said, you know what, this is my, this is my sweet spot. Why don't I double down in this area, which is primarily investor relations and get really good at this. And then continue to network, meet people until eventually, you know, you meet your partners and you also meet good operators to, you know, sort of do deals with. Um, so that's where, that's sort of how I, that's the approach I've taken and I'm happy with it because it then enables me to, you know, specialize and be an expert in the field that I am, I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's amazing. And we love that route too. Uh, I think that's a, it's a great way to go, especially if that fits, you know, who you are and, you know, what your wheelhouse is. So, uh, and we want to make sure our listeners are familiar with what we're talking about here. Can you kind of give us a, just a, just an overview or just a summary of what you mean by funds or the fund of funds model? What is that and how does that apply? Yes. Great question. So the fund of funds model is it's essentially where um, a general partner like myself will create an entity and that entity, my investors will invest in that entity and that entity can be set up to invest in either one investment or multiple investments. The key here is there's complete transparency because when you're going into this deal, you're notified up front. This entity is being set up to invest in this multifamily asset or this investment is being set up as a blind fund. So meaning that it could be invested in a variety of different assets. And here is the planned investment strategy. Um, so that is the distinct differences that um, in terms of the flavors of the types of funds that can come about. Yeah, I think it, it's a great model, right? Especially, you know, if, if for passive investors too, for both sides, active and passive, I think it's a great model. Um, and then, so again, for, for people who aren't quite as familiar with, you know, this model and stuff. And that was a great explanation, by the way. And you, you kind of gave us a couple of pros there. Can we just dive into some more pros and cons of, of this type of model, please? Yeah. Let's start with the passive investors. Perfect. So some of the pros for passive investors, if you are doing a 506, if it's a 506B raise, if you didn't have, um, by you having a relationship with me, you've now gained access to this deal. If you didn't have a relationship with me, there was no way you would have been able to invest in the deal under if the person who's running the deal is following the SEC rules surrounding 506B and having that relationship with you before they have the deal in hand. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is, depending on the way it's structured, um, investors can also have the same return profile as what they are getting going directly with, say, the operator. Or they could have maybe a slightly lower profile as well. But the reality is in, when, in the situations when the returns are a little bit lower than going with the main, um, two things to consider there. The first thing is that um, when you're looking at it, is the return still better than what you could get in other places? Like having your money in the stock market or having your money just sitting in the bank. 
And if the answer to that is yes, then why not? So like in the case of the the, um, 2019 deal that is now going full cycle, if people went directly with the operator, they would have seen an IRR of approximately 25%. By them going directly into our fund, they're going to see an IRR of roughly 20%. So there's that 5% differential. Is a 20% IRR good? Of course. Like, (laughs) like, why would you walk away from that? So like, so that's, those are the things that still make the deal a viable deal, even though you might have to do that 95-5 split at your fund level. Um, Some of the cons of the fund of fun is, you know, if, if you have a situation where you are double fees, you know, like that could be potentially a con, but like, you also want to look at the returns just to make sure that. At the end of the day, the return that you're getting is something that you um, are comfortable with. The other con is you want to, like anything else, the general partner who's taking care of that fund, you want them to be someone you know, like, and trust that is going to do the right thing when they when that money comes to their bank account in terms of you know, kicking off the operating distributions to you in a timely manner, as well as keeping you up to date on what's going on with that particular asset in terms of monthly updates and then also communicating the quarterly um, PL and rent roll information. Now, turning a little bit to for people who are active and who are coming at it from, they're like, oh, you know, why would I want to do the fund, fund to fund model? So, One of the pros for them is that they get to protect their investor base. Um, So when you take your investors and you bring them into a GP arrangement, um, yes, there are agreements that are in place where you can have agreements in place where the GP partner should respect that they are unable to solicit it directly to your investors, but sometimes it happens. Um, so in a situation with the fund of fund, you're able to protect the relationships that you have to spend so much time building that you just don't give them away overnight right. um, to someone else after you've spent the time building, getting to know these people, nurturing them, educating them and teaching them and now getting them to a place where they feel comfortable investing with you. Um, and now you're totally cut out of the process. The other thing is, um, you know, Because one of the pros is that those particular, the general partner is then able to nurture, continue to nurture their investors. So they're the ones sending out the investment updates on the investment, you know, on a both more monthly as well as quarterly basis and, you know, going through that process. The cons are that you might need to understand how to you know, manage the money and split, you know, understand the accounting behind it. Um, Maybe you need to get like Syndication Pro or one of those other kinds of things to help you in sort of having your own servers. So that way, you know, everything is secure and and tight. There might be additional fees because you, you of course, are going to need to have your own PPM. Um, But you overcome that by negotiating with the um, operator. And if you are unable to then get you know, negotiate for better terms than being able to communicate to your investors, hey, this is what the returns are going to look like because you're doing that 95 split or whatever split you're going to do in order to help compensate you during the time that you're running this fund. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're, I think you're spot on. The thing I want to bring up about being on the active side is, is really that, you know, just because 
you know, it doesn't sound, you know, we're not doing everything as a fund of funds manager, right? But it still takes a lot of work just to be a fund of funds manager. This is not just cookie cutter, a piece of cake type thing. There's a lot, a lot to that. And I do want to speak towards the, the passive, uh, the passive investors. You made a great point about, you know, some of these investors, passive investors, they might never see this deal if it's a 506B, right? Uh, you know, and having that relationship with you, you giving them access to this. Because I know a lot of these deals, some of these deals typically never see the light of day. I mean, they don't, they don't get seen at all, especially, but, but they might get passed on to somebody like you, Lisa, who is a fund of funds manager when that operator might approach you to say, Hey, do this raise for us. And then that's it. Right. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the whole deal. So I think that's, that's a great point. And I think a lot of passive investors should take note of that. With that being said, I kind of want to stick on the passive investing side, if that's okay. Um, you know, and this being a fund of funds, uh, which is, which is typically pretty similar, but a little bit of differences, you know, with passive investors in mind, should they be adjusting their due diligence process for, uh, you know, a deal that's in a fund of funds? Um, I think that for me, at least I feel like their due diligence process should be the same. So in other words, when I see a deal as a passive investor, the first thing I look at is number one, um, where is this deal located? So I will, if it's in Atlanta, for instance, say I didn't invest in Atlanta, I would Google Atlanta population. And you can sort of see what the trends have been in that particular city for the past 10 years. And for me, that is key in terms of deciding whether I want to invest in a deal or not. Um, if I am looking at a property, like if I see a property and it's located in a certain place and area, and when I go and Google it, I see that it's projecting, the population is projecting down, then I worry about when I want to sell this asset in the next couple of years, what is it going to sell for? Maybe it's going to be flat. Um, and I'm like, am I going to be okay with that? So like, those are the things also rent growth because you have a declining population, like, are there sufficient jobs? So the second thing I would then look for is like, what are the information about in the marketplace about this city, like online, like, you know, are there new businesses coming into the city in the media and like, who are they and what kind of companies they are? Um, the other thing that I didn't talk about, but is equally important. Um, and I didn't speak about it because the idea is that you would already have gotten comfortable with the operator. So before getting into all of this, you want to get comfortable with who is operating the deal, even in a fund of fund, you need to know who is going to be asset managing this deal. Um, and you want to understand a couple of things about them. One, you want to understand what's their track record, you know, in terms of what kinds of deals they've done in the past. Um, you want to understand, are these deals and the business plan for the current deal in alignment with what they've done? So do they have a track record of doing this kind of business plan in the past? Like if they've always been in hotels and then now they're doing mobile home parks, like you would want to understand, do they have someone on their team that has that mobile home park experience that is going to be helping them to manage and um, ensure that they hit the business plan for this particular asset? Um, so those are some of the things that I look at going a step further in a little bit more detail. The other thing that I also like to look at is I also look, like to look at the loan. So I prefer to see a permanent loan on these kinds of deals, um, especially if you're doing like a class B, B plus, like a very solid kind of class B type B plus asset. I would want to see like somewhat of a permanent loan. If you have a a uh, loan that has a floating rate, I want to see a cap, you know, that they've purchased a cap. Right. So that way, if there's any fluctuations in the rate, 
they have that cap that's purchased in place. Um, and then, yeah, for the um, also on the loans, the bridge loans, typically, like if they're planning on doing like maybe this is a class C asset and they have a whole ton of value add that they're planning on executing, then then maybe it gives rise and reason for the for the um, for the bridge loan. A um, couple more things. Two more things I would say is I like to see preferred returns. Um, I like for me, um, I think that it shows that the between the preferred return and the waterfall um, is an indicator for me uh, that the um, invested, the general partner team has their interest in alignment with investors. Uh, so for me, that's important. And I, I believe that the preferred return should be starting to begin ticking. So it should start accruing the moment you receive cash from investors and not like some other arbitrary time. Right. Um, and then lastly, I would say, um, yeah, rent growth. <laughs> rent <laughs> growth projections, so important. So typically I want to see, I guess, because I am an accountant, I take a conservative approach and sort of looking that, you know, especially here coming off of COVID um, 2021 here, projecting zero to very minimal rent growth in the year one, despite whatever is going on in the market. Um, and then, you know, ramping up to, you know, smaller, like maybe one to 2% in the, in the years going out. If I see large, significant rent growth projections, as well as um, refis um, as a part of the underwriting and in order to make the deal work. For me, that's a deal breaker, um, but that's just for me. <laughs> and and you, all of those points are fantastic. And I, and I completely agree. Those are things that should definitely be looked at. You know, one question that I get from, you know, newer passive investors, especially is, is you know, you know, they, they typically say something like, you know, we're not underwriters. We don't have any background in underwriting or accounting or something like that. Right. And the, the question is basically is like, how deep do we need to go during our analysis to make sure we're investing wisely? And, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of different answers that I typically give, but I would love to hear your response to something like that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, you know, I think that should they redo the underwriting? I don't think so. <laughs> right. Like, I think that's a little bit of an overkill. Um, but should they at least know some of the key um, assumptions in the underwriting and understand whether they're reasonable? I think yes. And you can ask the operator who is bringing the deal, hey, what are some of the key assumptions in your underwriting and how did you get comfortable? And while, you know, you might not have the expertise on hand on that very first deal to assess whether it's reasonable, the more you ask that same question and see more and more deals, you as a passive investor will begin to start like this stuff will just start gelling. And, you know, as someone who understands what it's like to work super hard for your money um, and I, I get it, like I think that it's worth you at least understanding, uh, you know, some of the, you know, what are some of the key assumptions that are in fact impacting it and just taking a step back and saying, okay, does this make sense? And maybe sometimes you need to ask, you know, build network with other passive investors and sort of get their two cents on it. Or you build relationships with other operators and sort of say, hey, you know, if I see a deal, can I ask you a question about it? Um, I think that, you know, if people are interested in you, from a long-term perspective, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to be 
you know, an honest person that would tell you, okay, hey, this is my two cents on it. And then it's up to you to make a decision whether you want to invest. Before we run out of time, we want to make sure to shine the spotlight on you, Lisa. So tell the listeners what else you have going on. Yeah. um, In order to learn more about me, you can come directly to my website, one-stop shop. So lisahilton.com. And that's Hilton like the hotel, only thing with a Y instead of an I. Um, And you'll find everything there. So my blogs, my podcasts, um, any kind of videos that I have. Um, If you want to sign up for my investor club, it's there as well. Um, And then I also have an ebook, which is a beginner's guide to investing in real estate syndications. So it's also lisahilton.com forward slash ebook. So super easy. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to make sure to put on all that stuff in the show notes so our listeners can reach out to you and connect further. Uh, Lisa, you're a rock star and we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.